Hey, what's going on? Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Strantz. Of course, also covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Uh, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You can always hit us up, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Canucks got back on the ice today for a practice after a day off yesterday. Full day off, of course. They will be in Seattle playing the Kraken tomorrow. Still, as you might have heard, looking for their first win of the season. Drance, how's it going, man? Going well. Going well. I mean, another day, uh, another several players added to injured reserve for the Vancouver Canucks, mm -hmm. and an embattled general manager speaks to the media. It's the first losing streak availability of Patrick Alvin's career. These are kind of a tradition around here, so yes. you know, he'll ha he'll have an opportunity one would expect to do a few more of these, and hopefully some in good times too. Sometimes sometimes we'll actually ask like we'll be like, "Hey, you know, we haven't talked to the GM in like two months. Times are good now. Like, why don't we do an availability where he might actually feel willing to speak? <laughs> I'll be a little unguarded. Um, but that's not the case today. Not the He's case. Talking with his team winless. And uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. I'm looking forward to hearing exactly what he said and unpacking it with you, Jamie, yeah. and with our listeners. Yeah, so for those just catching up, Patrick Alvin spoke to the assembled media at Rogers Arena after their practice today. Some injury updates, uh, but also just a wide-ranging conversation about where the team is, what the future holds, his impressions of the early start or the, the poor start uh, to the season. Here is Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin. Yeah, um, I never anticipated that and I think uh, um, this is uh, this is a challenge for us obviously facing adversity here right away and uh, I know the coaches and the players are working hard to uh, find a way to get out of there you still have faith that this group can turn around there's still time Patrick? I, I do think so I, I mean the, the the way they're working every day and trying to find solutions and and uh, uh, trying to find ways to uh, to start winning hockey games. I, I do think that we have a lot of uh, good players on this team. You put a lot of faith into this core. Really, the core hasn't been touched, hasn't been changed. Do you still have faith in this core, or is it time to shake things up? Um, I definitely have faith in this core. Um, I think we have a lot of, of young and good players here. Um, I believe we're uh, the sixth youngest team uh, in the league uh, on the opening night roster. So I definitely think uh, um, uh, this, un, this, this young group has uh, still a lot of things to learn, uh, and part of it the being facing diversity here and how they come out of it. But I definitely have faith in this young core. The big thing that Jim wanted to see, Patrick, was better structure, especially better defending, better zone exits. How much do you think that has contributed to where you guys are today? Um, definitely part of it. Um, I think good teams definitely in this league right now have, uh, um, they're playing with a structure, they're playing with a system, and they feel comfortable about it. Uh, I think that's something that we, uh, you know, notified uh, ourselves last year, and, and we want to continue to build on that and work on that in order to be better. And I, I know our coaching staff are, are emphasized on it, and they're looking into it every day, and I want to improve in that. How 
long can you afford to be patient, Patrick, when you get maybe to even the 10-game meter? It seems that the league has changed a lot. It used to be that 20-game mark at the U.S. Thanksgiving, reset, look where you are. But there's so much parity in the league now. Can you afford to wait too long in terms of even making a roster move to do something? Well, one thing that we, you know, always do is is trying to improve our team and looking at all the options and, and see what's available and if there's a fit with uh, cap and... and uh, I mean, assets too. Uh, uh, you know, the reality is that that uh, we need to start winning hockey games here. Are you like many sort of trying to figure out? Like, you've been in every game. Third periods have just been your undoing for whatever reason. Like, do you have an explanation, or are you, are you surprised uh, that the team hasn't been able to sort of put sixty minutes together? I, I would I would say surprised. Yeah, I guess uh, I, I guess that's. Uh, um, surprising that we actually have played part of the games really well and, and showed habits and details of uh, uh, a winning and good team. But, but somehow uh, there is those uh, individually uh, breakdowns that cost us uh, at this point goals, um, especially uh, third periods. I, I mean, the, the road trip was tough, but uh, being up in every every game in the road trip and then, then end up losing, um, obviously losing a little bit of momentum there. Patrick, we've spoken at length in regards to the fact that moving players, moving contracts isn't the easiest. You've talked about the summer that you guys had. Bruce really looks like a miracle worker with what he did last year with this roster. Now he's in a really tough spot. How do you look at what he's dealing with and how do you look at the team that he has right now? Well, I, I since I, I got in here last season in January um, I think you know we were so far behind when Bruce came in here and I think uh, you know we, we he had a tremendous start there and I think he went 10 and 0 or 9 and 1 uh, and I think team started to take us light um, um, credit, credit to him and the, and the players they find um, a way to enjoy being at the rink they find a way to win games uh, but if you look at it how we played um, we had a tremendous goaltender. Um, I think Thatcher Demko was the best in the league from December to the end. Um, our special teams was really good too. Uh, the five-on-five needed to be better in order to be a, a top team in the league. So in that regard, it was something we, we wanted to address uh, going into the season. And uh, uh, part of that was you know, finding more structure and... and uh, uh, structure, accountability, and, and finding a system to place there. So I don't think, again, I think we're a talented team, uh, but we need to get this team um, and this group to play together as a, as a, as a group and a team. Patrick, do you think a coaching change would make a difference with the roster and with the injuries that you have right now? Um, I think every every good team is facing uh, adversity, and and uh, it's just if you're if you want to be a good team in this league, you got to have the next man up mentality. And I think uh, the players that have been coming up here have shown that they're capable of playing games. Um, I don't think that's been an issue. Um, I think we need to um, have our kind of the top players to to buy in and be the top players every single day uh, you walk in here to the rink and um, I think that's the difference right now. Uh, injuries have become part of the storyline here early what if anything can you tell us about the extent of particularly Quinn and, and Brock? Um, my understanding uh, through the doctor's reports are that both are day to day and expected to be back here uh, you know 
not I, I don't believe that they're back tomorrow, but uh, you know I uh, anytime soon they shouldn't be out that that long. And Lazar sort of where did that? Go? La, Lazar is uh, um, I believe he's more three to four weeks. Um, he got injured uh, in one of the early games, but be playing through it. And at this point, uh, the doctor's advice was uh, to, to uh, have him to sit out. Unfortunately, is it safe to assume that the kind of game that Curtis has to play probably maybe led to his injury too? Absolutely, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been very pleased with Curtis, um, the character. Uh, you can tell that he's been, you know, in an organization that that um, have a higher standard and how he had, uh, conduct himself on and off the ice every day. If these struggles continue, would you be open to the idea of a rebuild, or do you still think it's a quicker fix to get this team back on track in the bigger picture? Well, uh, it's interesting the rebuild word. I've been part of uh, um, a rebuild. I came in late uh, in a previous organization and and uh we were able to rebuild and and win three cups uh um i still think that we're uh we're building something here um every day uh we're not done uh i think that was something that we want to accomplish this summer too uh uh, changing the culture raising the bar uh having higher standards and and uh bringing younger players character players and and making sure we're always looking at the options here responsible partly for this absolutely I'm the general manager here so I'm I'm as uh, you know responsible as as you know the coaching staff and the players and we're all working together um, I see the hard work the coaching staff putting in every day and and my job is to um, always look at options uh, to get better um, and support our coaching staff does Bruce have your full support uh, yeah, the coaching staff uh, from from day one, we have good communication and we're working together and we're going to find a way to get out of this. Do you think any of the team's problem is, other than their execution, which they have a lot of problem with that, but just the structure, this idea that they're trying to go from playing, say, system A, now they're trying to play system B. Maybe they were better at system A. Uh, I don't know if Bruce has really changed uh, much of his system. Um, I think it's more about teaching, communication, and and having everybody on the same page. Um, I think that's where you see good teams, regardless who you have in the lineup. Everybody knows where the puck's going to go and how you support the puck carrier in in all areas of the game. Um, So I I don't see uh, uh, Bruce uh, um, changing uh, his system much. What has surprised you with this start? Because we we talked about slow starts plaguing this team. Yeah. It's happened again. I know there's injuries. Everyone has injuries. But what surprised you? What concerns you? Well, I, I think um, Jim touched on it here the other day. Uh, you know, um, training camp, how you prepare yourself and, and uh, being ready for um, the tough road trip, I think we could have done a better job getting the momentum uh, going into the to to the start of the season. Uh, I think that's something you know. Good teams are dialed in and they're uh, prepared from day one. Um, I think we're um, something we need again to uh, to be understanding of how hard this league is and the parity of the league. And you know, every every day you you're facing you know. 
a different team that plays a different style of game, and you got to be ready for it. What is ownership's level of patience with this hockey team and the way that it's performing? Um, I feel we have a, a tremendous support from from the ownership here. Um, I've only known them for a couple of months, but I've been impressed how dedicating they are, uh, what they want to emphasize on, and what what it means for this uh, uh, city here. And and uh, uh, they're very clear of you know being supportive to to myself and Jim here um, and the players and the coaching staff. Saturday, Jim said that this might be heading towards a rebuild with this team. How much longer can you go here as a winless team before you can go in that direction? Well, as I said, I I think we're always trying to rebuild the roster and always want to get better. I mean, when, to be honest, when when you're winning, uh, when you're able to win a cup, you're always looking to get better. Um, there is ne- there's never a downtime. You're always looking to different options to get better. And as I said, I was part of a rebuild process that, uh, um, you know, we were able to, to accomplish winning cups. But when you're looking back, you want to re- win more cups. And that's, you know, that's how the game is. How much easier was it in Pittsburgh once you did the rebuild, Patrick, to do what a lot of teams try to do today, the good teams, retool on the fly when you have your best players being your best players? Is it much easier to reach along the fly? Well, I think you could see, uh, you know, some of the previous uh, winning teams here with, uh, you know, Colorado and Tampa that has been in the same, um, you know, rebuilding mode for uh, for years, and and they're still building. They're they're good teams, and I, as I said, we're uh, believe the, the sixth youngest team starting up the season, so we obviously have a lot of work to do with our younger players, and and you know, prepare them for this league and, and what it takes to be a good team and what it takes to be good after the 82 games. I'm sure you feel the temperature in this market, right? It's a passionate Canadian hockey market. What's your one message to these fans, especially after what you saw with jerseys being thrown on the ice, the way that people are so passionate about this? What's your message to the fan base right now? Well, I, I've, uh, I've been amazed and impressed with the, with the fans here. I mean, the, the, the passion level they show and the support here, um, you know, even in last year uh, when we were out of it, and and they just continue to to support the team. I I've been amazed uh, and uh, very fortunate to be in a Canadian market like this, and and uh, uh, I'm as frustrated as as they are uh, not winning hockey games. But we're in this, and and I guarantee you that uh, every single player and staff member here wants to turn this around. Do these early struggles affect how you view the decision on Bo and his long term future? Um, not really. Um, I haven't talked to Bo's agent here in a couple of weeks, but, uh, I mean, Bo is a captain here and, and, uh, um, you know, he's, he's a big part of this group and he's a big part of, of this, uh, uh, solutions of how we're going to find ways to win, win games again. I think Bo, um, has had some really good games and, and some, some games that he probably wish we, we, you know, we played a little bit better. Okay. So go full circle. Coach isn't going to be fired anytime soon. He's got your full support. <laughs> well, definitely. As I said, we we're working uh, very tight together here. We're working close. We're trying to find solutions. Um, you know what? Uh, in the end of the day, we're going to start winning hockey games. That's that's the bottom line. Did Bruce tell you about his one seven and two Ducks that uh, won the division that year? So maybe a slow start, isn't it? Uh, I believe he he uh, he told the players about that as well, and and um, that's a good thing with Bruce. I mean, he's upbeat. He's been uh, you know very experienced guy. Uh, I think all of us uh, wish he will get his uh, six hundred win here pretty soon. 
That is Canucks general manager Patrick Alvine uh, earlier today, only about half an hour ago, speaking to the media at Rogers Arena and again covering a lot of ground there about what he's noticed from the team's start, potential direction going forward for the team, a little bit about Bruce Boudreau and expressing his confidence in Boudreau towards the end of the clip. Welcome back to Canucks Talk with myself, Jamie Dodd. And my co-host, Thomas Drantz, get your thoughts in about what you heard from Alvin 650-650. Drantz, I'll put you on the spot. Big picture takeaways after listening to the Canucks GM. <laughs> we rebuilt in Pittsburgh and won three cups. <laughs> Doesn't that say it all? Like, like what? I mean, that's the quote that stands out to me, obviously, because in the big picture, this team's not close. They're not close. They're just not close to good enough, right? And they're going to win games. They're going to get back on track, and I say that with scare quotes, although you can't see me, because there is too much talent here for this team to be, you know, truly at the bottom of the league. There is, for sure. This team's going to probably find a way to get to the mid-80s at least, despite this start and despite the pace that they'll have to play with just to do that. Yeah, that's my opinion. Like, I think this is a good team. I think Demko's going to steal this team weeks months worth of games at some point down the line. I think the power play is going to end the year being good, right? Uh, there's a lot of talent here. There is, no question. It's just that it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit together. The defense is not close to good enough. Um, you know, they can call that structure. They can say, they can describe it however they want, but there's a fundamental personnel issue here, right? And multiple coaches, the third straight year that we're talking about the job security of the coach within a month of the season starting, like, Something's not working fundamentally. And so, you know, Alvin just details, oh yeah, I've been part of a rebuild. I've mm -hmm. been part of a rebuild and we and we came back and won three cups. That's the argument. That's the whole argument. Like, can you, you know, and, and talking about retooling on the fly brings up Tampa Bay and Colorado. Like, is this core close to that level? And, and not just in terms of the player quality, but in terms of the volume of core pieces those teams have, right? I mean, you're not just talking about one center, one defenseman, one goaltender, when you're talking about those teams. You're talking about Kucherov and Stamkos and Point and Hedman and Vasilevsky. You're talking about Makar and Taves and Rantanen and McKinnon and like Landeskog and Nishushkin, depending on, on your mileage, right? I mean, clearly this team, in addition to everything else, needs actually more up front and so much more on the back end the answer is staring everyone in the face. Alvin has been through it successfully. Like, why, why are we pretending there isn't an obvious answer well, here? Well, because it is interesting, though, because as he says, he points to the successful example of a rebuild. But I didn't get the sense that he was saying that and implying that he's that's something he has a, a strong appetite to do in Van, here in Vancouver. I don't know. if no. it, Right. It, it was it was a bit of a confusing answer, to be honest, because on the one hand, he points to the successful uh, you know, the successful rebuild that he's been a part of in Pittsburgh. But then it's also, you know, well, we're building something here every day. We, you know, we got to change the culture. We got to raise the bar. That's all fine. But it, the actual prescription for what it sounds like he's saying they're going to do doesn't really match the, oh yeah, by the way, rebuilds can be successful. So I'm left a little bit scratching my head. Is it, is it, are, <laughs> is there an actual willingness to rebuild? Cause you've seen it be success or what, what exactly was, the nod to the Pittsburgh experience supposed to indicate, I guess is my question. I'm not really well, clear on that. And this is also where I'm starting to come down with on Rutherford and Alvin. You know, 
since they came into Vancouver and I'd throw today's availability in, I hear what he's saying and I like a lot of what he's saying, but the actions haven't matched the words, right? Like he's talking about not quite believing in the run last year. And it's like, oh, wow, that could have been a segment on Canucks hour seven (laughs) months ago, right? That sounds like something I would have said. I like that. That's right. Um, But then the actions just do not match it at all, right? I mean, we're going to change the culture but not change the mix at all, right? Our, our biggest problem is our, our best players aren't coming out and being our best players night after night, but we're doubling down on the group anyway. I mean, at some point, actions have to speak louder than words for this organization. And for for this management group in particular, you know, we've heard lots of good things. And then what we've seen play out was, you know, a training camp that left them not prepared. Uh, and, and, you know, there has to be accountability where where and how um you know the, the it feels like the commentary is just at such diametric odds with the actions of this hockey club which feel old hat which feel familiar which are consistent over a decade across multiple management teams right at some point we need to see the pudding like we need to see the proof it's not enough to talk about culture and plans and retools and the success of rebuilds, but we're not going to do one. Like we need to, we need to see it. We need to see creative moves to move this team forward. Uh, That's my view of it anyway. And that's sort of ultimately why uh, I I guess I'm, I'm left feeling a little flat, even as I hear a lot of what Alvin's saying and agree wholeheartedly with, with a fair bit of his analysis. It's just that at some point this club's actions need to match what they're talking about. Yeah, and I I think for me it comes down to I don't disagree with any of the things about changing the habits, changing the culture, raising the bar, having higher standards, all of those things. Those are all really good. I think that's important. Yeah, helping their their star young players learn what it takes to be winners in this league. That's great. I I completely support all of that. I just don't think that's going to get it done. Right. There also has to be that you need to do that. (laughs) No, but you also need to improve the talent on the team. You also need to take a more forward looking perspective when you're building on the roster. And if the plan is just, you know what, we're going to get through to these guys and we're going to get our top players playing together as a team. And, you know, they're going to do the right thing on the ice and they're going to have the right habits. And then we'll be a contender. Again, that's you're not going to make up all of that ground just by changing the habits. And that's what concerns me is that, as you said, the diagnosis seems to be accurate, but then the prescription I don't think goes nearly far enough for correcting the underlying issue. No, and we're at a point too where, you know, uh, teams waylaid by injuries having just changed their medical staff. Teams losing every third period after changing their training staff, right? Um, Teams talking about a winning culture, but there's a uh, unaddressed firing of a of a video coach right before the season that the organization hasn't spoken to, right? I mean, like... At some point, too, if you're going to say that we're the group of stability and supporting our stars and accountability, you know, to this point anyway, all of the changes that this organization have wrought haven't even paid sort of dividends process-wise, right? Anything that we could point to and say, that's been a marked improvement over what we've seen in the past, with the, with the exception of these availabilities, where, you know, Alvin, I think, does come across perhaps a bit more... Um, like with more credibility and Jim Rutherford comes across with a bit more uh, credibility than previous 
than the previous regime, right? Where Bruce mm-hmm. Boudreaux is far more likable than Travis Green. But aside from that, aside from that sort of, you know, the the wind that this organization blows in, in terms of words, there's there's just nothing there yet. There's nothing there for us to say, hey, we can see it. We understand it. We, we have any confidence in it. And that's sort of the issue that this organization is now running into, having sort of talked talked one game and then delivered very much another in their first offseason. The other part that stood out to me, and it's something that came up a couple of times, was uh, Patrick Alvin referencing the Canucks being the sixth youngest team in the league based on the opening night roster and you know this text came in early i think it was from tyler who said it's kind of frightening that we're that young but also capped out (laughs) um but i also think it's a little misleading right to say they're the sixth youngest team in the league because the actual differences in kind of average ages between teams in the nhl is very very minimal right so just looking at looking at the list of teams by average age and again that's opening night roster so like danila klimovich was on the opening night roster he's a very young player helps pull that average down a little bit despite obviously not featuring uh, on the team you know the canucks are at 26 Point one four. 26 years, point one four. That's our average age. Well, there's another five teams after them, six teams after them that all have an average age under 27 years, right? To get beyond 27 years, you have to go all the way down to like the 25th, like to some of the oldest teams in the league. So to say you're six youngest, I think if the implication there is that, oh, it's a super, super young team in the NHL, I don't think that's really the case. They're very much in line with the kind of normal NHL distribution of, of players on, on their age curve. It's just they happen to be slightly <laughs> on the younger side. But well, if, again, well, if it's the... not like they have this like big group of 24 year olds all pushing, right? They have, you know, a couple of 21 year olds in the middle six in Hoaglander and Pod Colson, right? They have a young fourth line center who's occasionally played third line center in Neil Zaman. Uh, they've got Hughes on the back end who's 22, Pedersen who's 23. And that's it. Like, that's that's it, right? It's not like there's this critical mass of young defensemen pushing and contributing like we see in L.A., right? It's not like there's this critical mass of young wingers all sort of building chemistry with one another as they age up together like we see in New Jersey or Ottawa, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I mean, there is a very significant distinction in this team's construction versus those actual young teams and, you know, the fact that their average age is lower than L.A. is because L.A. has Kopitar and Doughty on the roster doesn't mean that L.A. is an older, te- a young, uh, a older team than Vancouver, even if it is true by average age. Like, we have to yeah. understand, too, the, the role that critical mass plays. Uh, this is not constructed to be a young team. This is not a young team in terms of its profile. This is a win-now team that can't win. Yeah, and I think, again, if the, if the implication is... That, okay, well, this is such a young team, you know, sixth youngest team in the NHL, and therefore, you know, it's all about supporting these players, and we've got this group, we've got this core group of guys, and we're just going to help them learn and help them develop, and, and you know, we'll see where that takes us. Again, I don't, I just, that's not nearly sufficient, and I don't think you can rely on the fact that there's the sixth youngest team in the league to justify taking that sort of of position. Um, we've got lots more to get into with Patrick Alvin. We're going to take a quick break. Keep your thoughts coming. We'll read them on the other side. 650-650 is, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, some injury updates in there and some other interesting things to say about Bo Horvat, about the coaching staff. Uh, lots more to dig into from Alvin's availability, to, availability today. That's coming up. It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 as we continue to react to Canucks general manager Patrick Alvine and what he had to say to the media earlier today at Rogers Arena. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, and, of course, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Get your thoughts in. Lots of great conversation starters coming in uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text line. So we'll read some of those in this segment as you react to Patrick Alvine. A few other interesting uh, nuggets from what he had to say. First of all, just a, a kind of nuts and bolts injury update. Uh, so earlier today, they assigned Brock Besser and Curtis Lazar to IR, uh, called up Sheldon Dries and Will Lockwood as the corresponding moves. And the update from Patrick Alvin today was that Hughes and Besser are both day-to-day, shouldn't be out so long, although it doesn't sound like they're candidates to play tomorrow. Curtis Lazar is going to be out three to four weeks, so a little bit longer term there uh, for, for Lazar. But it is interesting. I mean, one, Besser going on IR, obviously another injury blow uh, to his team Drancer ahead of the game. Tomorrow in Seattle, uh, also a different designation for Quinn Hughes, right? And Alvin said, my understanding is Hughes is day-to-day. We had heard week-to-week earlier from Bruce Boudreau, so uh, maybe a bit more optimistic update there on Quinn Hughes and Patrick <laughs> Alvin. We've heard a lot of different statuses mm-hmm. for Quinn Hughes. He's been a maintenance day. He's been day-to-day. He was week-to-week. He's day-to-day again. We'll see him when we see him. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> we will see him like, when I, I don't know. I'm him. not getting I'm not getting into that game. I'm not you know, the I don't know the details of his injury. The human body is super unpredictable as it recovers from playing a hurt in a collision sport like hockey. Um, you know, we've seen this movie before far too many times in this market. I don't know if you remember uh, Elias Pettersson going from day to day to week to week to day to day to leaving the ice randomly during a morning skate and then us finding out that he was injured in Winnipeg like weeks before. Um, I mean, it, you know, this, these, these things happen. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly just still sort of trying to unpack mentally everything we heard from Alvin, right? And that's sort of, that's sort of oh, where... For sure. That's sort of where I'm I'm stuck. Bruce Boudreaux gets the vote of confidence. They're working closely trying to find solutions. So this is now the official vote of confidence. Where was that on our team yes, in early was, season crisis bingo card? It was somewhere on there for sure, and we've had <laughs> it. I mean, we got a two-for-one today, right, with the, yeah. the kind of impromptu press conference to address the losing and then also the vote of confidence uh, in the team or in the coach specifically. So there you go. We filled in a couple of spots on the bingo card. And so, you know, I, I mean – we're going to hear a lot. I think the the belief in the core group stands out to me, right? Like I still believe in this core group, um, you know, which which oh, a while ago they would have defined as including like Bo Horvat and JT Miller. Is that still like has it changed? What's their view? Well, and specifically, um, it was faith in this young core, right? And still a lot to learn, but I have faith in the young core. And the natural question is, you know, well, okay. Where, where's the age cutoff to be young, right? Like, Bo Horvat's not a young player anymore. Is he part of that young core? JT Miller certainly shouldn't be part of that young core. Is it just Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, right? Which I think I know a lot of fans have kind of said, and I know Demko's not that young either. He's only uh, slightly younger than, uh, than Horvat. But, you know, as a goaltender and he's under contract, it's a little bit different. But who else is part of that, quote, young core? Because to me, that's very different than just the core, 
if you once you start to to throw the age qualifier in there, it, it becomes easier to exclude guys like Bo Horvat, like JT Miller from that definition. For sure, and then also challenging that that core to be the best players every day. Um, you know that that that's one thing that the team hasn't had, and that's partly why they are they're winless. Is their best players haven't been their best players. Um, you know, Pedersen has for sure. Hughes mm-hmm. has been d- dinged up. Uh, clearly was fatigued or or didn't look like himself even when he was playing 28 minutes a night. And then Demko, we know, hasn't been to his usual standard, but also he's a goaltender, you know, and this team's surrendering a lot of good looks. So, uh, you know, I still don't know that I look at a lot of goals that the Canucks have surrendered and think Demko should have had that. Uh, how, I mean, how much more can you ask of that guy? Um, and for me, not a, not a ton more, like to be totally honest with you, right? Uh, you can ask for the odd game to be stolen, but you have to create an environment where he doesn't have to do it to win. And right now he does, yeah. which doesn't seem reasonable. Well, and the, on- the only mention of Demko in that press conference, right, was him saying, yeah, w- when we went on that run last year, Demko was the best goalie in the league and we, we knew we needed to be better at five on five and we haven't done that, right? Like that was the only time Demko came up. So I think it's pretty safe to say on Patrick Alvin's list of concerns, and I completely agree with him on this, Thatcher Demko is not near the top of the list. No, no, he shouldn't be. Uh, although, man, they're they're going to need to win a couple of games here with Spencer Martin playing uh, over the next two weeks, right? I mean, you've got two back-to-backs. You've got uh, maybe he plays Pittsburgh or Seattle. Maybe he plays tomorrow. Or he's playing Ottawa or Montreal the next week. Like, those are going – that's going to be two tough Spencer Martin starts. And this team right now has no margin, right? Like, they need wins in those games. Luckily for them, Martin has never started a game for this franchise in which they've failed to secure at least a point. So <laughs> – Pretty good track record there, but you know we'll we'll see. Goaltending should be a save, or sorry, a strength of this team. <laughs> Goaltending should make a save. Goaltending should be a strength of this team, but uh, obviously that hasn't shown up just yet. You know, as I sort of think about it, I, I still am struck by the lack of clarity around a plan or a direction. Right. So mm-hmm. the coach, the coach gets the vote of confidence. Uh, they're always building, but they're not committing to rebuilding uh they're young did you know they're young they're really young six youngest, youngest team in the, in the league, league baby okay but they're not really a young team by any definition um so like i just i i come out of it just sort of thinking what did we learn like what did we learn was that anything for you I can't say with any degree of confidence, I can't say that I have any more certainty about what direction they want to take this team, right? I I think that was, and look, Patrick Alvin, in the relatively short time that he's been the general manager here in Vancouver, he's he's had a lot of answers like this, right? Like, he's pretty good at at playing it close to the vest. You know, the old saying a lot, talking a lot, but not actually saying much, he's, he's pretty good at that. And I thought, you know... The most notable example of that today was the the reference to Pittsburgh and well well look at Tampa and Colorado and they're always trying to build and we're always trying to build and get better too and yeah of course you are I, I understand that but in terms of an actual vision an actual direction uh like wh- what is the you know and look sometimes I think we can get a little too wrapped up in okay you have to give us a you're gonna be you're gonna contend for the cup in three years exactly, and here's you know steps A through Z about how you're gonna get there. Look, I understand you need flexibility, you need to be able to respond to different things on the fly, but just one kind of big vision, the direction, whatever it is, I, I still don't feel like I know what it was. And you know, especially Drancer, the other thing that comes to mind is you just had the president 
you just had the president on national TV on the weekend saying, well, we might be heading toward a rebuild. And I didn't get any sense from Patrick Alvin today about what he thinks about that or whether he agrees that they might be headed for more of a significant rebuild. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact becomes that the longer we go without this organization consistently, like you don't have to give us a timeline. You don't have to put a label on it, right? But at least there has to be something discernible in terms of a trend in, in how you want to operate, how you want your team to be seen, right? How you want fans expect, like where you want fans expectations to be, right? Th those all need to be set and then sort of nurtured just a little bit. And instead, you know, I don't think we've ever really gotten uh, clarity of any kind on, on what the Canucks want, right? I mean, this management group has eschewed the idea that this team was what they looked like under Bruce Boudreau in the latter 57 games. But their summer would heavily point to a team that believed firmly that they could sustain that level of play. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that's fair to say. Our defense can hold. It showed it last year. Our goaltending is dominant. We will be fine. In fact, we will be great there. And really, if we can add uh, some speed into the, into the middle six and make sure to take care of at least one of our two star centers, we're going to be in a good spot. Right. And so to have that summer and then say, you know, the big difference is our, our best players night after night aren't our best players. Um, you know, is it enough? Is it enough for fans to hear that they're going to teach them up, coach them up to be greats? Or are we left to wonder like, Hey, you know, looks a lot different trying to win games with your best players being your best players when you don't have Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. And again, and I made this point earlier in the year, Drancer, but if the plan, if the main part of the plan is take these players who have talent but not the right habits and teach them the right habits, right? And that will transform the direction of the franchise. Just by doing that, or mainly by doing that, I don't want to say just, obviously they're trying to improve the team in other ways too, but if that's the kind of primary plank of your plan to improve this team... Well, then I think there needs to be a much more kind of clear and full explanation for how you're going to accomplish that, right? Do you have the right structure in place around them? Do you have the right personnel in place? Is Bruce Boudreaux the right coach to do that? If he isn't, why, or, or if he is, why haven't you given him an extension? If he isn't, why haven't you gotten the right coach in place right. to help the team do that? You know what I mean? It's it, Again, I'm not denying that there are gains to be made by helping these players develop. I, I just don't think there's sufficient gains to really change the course of the franchise and I also, I'm not really clear on what the plan to actually do that is. Right? Is it just, well, is it just keep preaching the same thing and hope that they figure it out? Because we've been the, the the previous regime talked about doing that too. Talked about bringing in high character guys, really focusing on character. At a certain point, you have to cut bait with that kind of effort. Well, why does it all feel like a mess, right? If character and teaching and coaching and accountability are so important, you know, like why are why is the organization saying like we didn't have a great training camp? Like, isn't that a massive indictment if their priority is to build a, a slow cook sort of like level up on the fly build where really the biggest distinction, their biggest calling card is going to be the way that they do business day to day. Why is everything so messy all the time? Like, yep. it just doesn't make sense. There, there, there is not enough credibility built, I think after this summer and after the results of the first seven games 
for the club to point to a secret sauce and just have a shrug and say, hmm, yeah, good. That's my view of it anyway. I, I sort of, you know, I, obviously I'm, I'm just exhausted, but it just <laughs> feels like they're giving themselves enough rope to do whatever strikes their fancy as the situation evolves as opposed to cautiously and slowly moving opinion in favor of some some sort of decisive action because you have to be careful about what you say publicly right like it yep. it doesn't even feel as focused as that right and and i get it when you're in positions of leadership when you're messaging you know you have many different bins of audiences that you have to consider right ownership's going to hear hear what you're saying the coaching staff's going to hear what you're saying the players are going to hear what you're saying the ticket buyers and fans are going to hear what you're saying the media is going to hear what you're saying and unpack it so you do have to be careful you can't just come out necessarily and and shoot from the hip although you know that's fun too sometimes mm-hmm. right and R- jim so rutherford I, to be fair has been known to do that on, on occasion in the past <laughs> so it, oh, does, it does happen it does happen even if it's not absolutely. always the best course of action no and and it's admirable when it happens and it's i, I don't i don't ding a ding someone for being careful either right that's that's not a negative for me by any means it's just that i can't even detect I can't even detect like breadcrumbs. Yeah, it's at hard. This point. It's hard to parse. You it, know what I mean? Like again, I didn't. No, it's impossible. As I said, That's... I don't really know what to make of the Tampa ref, or, or sorry, of the Pittsburgh reference. Like I, I don't to figure out even how to read between the lines of that one is difficult for me. Like, what are we supposed to kind of subtly glean from from that reference and and apply it to the Canucks situation? Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, John in North Ann texts in, how many losses before Alvin and Rutherford come out and admit it? This team isn't it. They tried. It didn't work. Time to switch it up. Call it a rebuild with a capital R. We have another texture who says, guys, they've been on the job 10 months only. Are you crazy? And look, yeah, it's 10 months, but... Again, it no, comes 10 down months to that have made everything more difficult. And it comes like, it comes down to again, their public commentary about the team not matching the moves they've made. And I don't think and it, again, it's 10 months for Alvin and Rutherford, but it's not 10 months for these players. It's a lot no. longer than that for these players, and that has to be part of the consideration, right? How much more evidence do you need that the team needs a a, a major shakeup of some sort, right? Like yes, they've only been here 10 months, but we have a lot of evidence that goes past uh, goes well beyond that as well. Well, and also, and also, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, I saw our colleague Dan Riccio had a tweet that was like, clearly, this management group's plan is to build around Hughes, Demko, and Pedersen, mm-hmm. right? Okay, okay. There was a moment this summer where, if that was going to be your plan, right? We've we've done the hard work of really losing, right? We don't need to tank. Because we've gotten, uh, you know, guys we think can be an elite defenseman, an elite center, an elite goaltender at key positions, and now we have to support them, right? I get that it was going to be hard to move salary for value this offseason, but there were routes to doing it. There were routes to doing it. Other teams were able to do it, right? Bjorkstrand was traded, mm-hmm. right? He's a, he's a really good player. The return was terrible, but teams were able to accomplish that. If you wanted to carve out cap flexibility, there were ways to do it. This team didn't, right? They decided not to. Um, There were defensemen on the market who would help, would be upgrades in Vancouver, not needle-moving star upgrades, but there were guys who signed relatively reasonable contracts who would be upgrades over what Vancouver has, whether it's a Labushkin or a Brett Kulak or, you know, heck, we can go higher end and go John Klingberg, Justin Schultz, right? 
the club instead decided to add a forward in Neilia Mikheyev, right? And this club doubled down on this team when they extended JT Miller. And then they traded a draft pick for the benefit of this team's cap flexibility when they decided to move from Dickinson to Stillman. So yeah, it's only been 10 months, but fundamentally, this team has made an already messy situation that was tough to untangle, even more difficult to untangle with any types uh, type of um, speed to capitalize off of Hughes, Pedersen, Demko's sort of combined prime over the next three, four years. Um, it's, it's just impossible to square. It's impossible to square. And we're really at a point where even if they came out and we're like, our plan is to build around these three young core guys. Well, their actions over the past few months do not like this trading the second to get off of Dickinson, right? It allowed them to get that perfect capture, but there Mm -hmm. were ways around, there were ways around, um, that's uh, around using that, like around using that device. There were ways to ice Dickinson on this team, Without, without trading a second. Well, what's going to matter more, right, in the th- last year of Demko's current deal, so four years down the line, right, that you had an additional shot at a player in the second round in 2024 or that you rolled the dice on Riley Stillman and were able to get a perfect capture on Furland, right? It doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense. Their actions do not make sense. Why would you commit? If you're, if you're trying to win a cup during the prime years of Hughes, Pedersen, and Demko, why are you extending JT Miller, who, again, in that last year of Demko's contract, 2026-27, or sorry, that's last year of Hughes's contract, so 2026, right, is going to be 33 or 32, right? Like, the, the, paying a 32-year-old $8 million doesn't help you win a cup around this course. So, I like, I'm not, I'm not saying there's no plan willy nilly. I'm not throwing it out there because it worked and got people, uh, got a rise out of people, uh, when Jim Benning was GM and we're just playing the hits. Although, you know, we're, we're known to do that too. <laughs> I'm, I'm not above that. It's just not what I'm doing now is what I'm trying to, trying to say. Like none of what's happened in these 10 months can be squared in my view with any plan or any shape of a plan. That's not old hat, sneak into the playoffs and and hope you get lucky. And that's frustrating. Like what's what's the Occam's razor plan that we think management's operated under for their first 10 months? If you come up with an answer that's better than sneak into the playoffs and hope we get lucky with our goaltending, uh you know, good t- t- let me know. Like text it in because I don't think anything makes more sense than that one. The other thing that stands out to me and again, it kind of fits into this. On the one hand, you're hearing some criticism of the team, but then the corresponding potential action doesn't really make sense. And, you know, he was asked, does, does this start affect your decision on Bo Horvat at all? Right. And again, it's only seven games, Bo Horvat's been good. He's been one of their best players. And, you know, the answer from Patrick Alvin was no, he's the captain. He's a big part of the team. He's going to be a big part of the solution to get us turned around here. And I, and I don't think he meant necessarily the long-term solution, but he meant the solution to actually start winning uh, some hockey games in the here and now for this team. And, Look, I really like Bo Horvat as a hockey player. I think, you know, when when we you go back in time 8 months when we were talking about should they sign Miller long term or sign sign Horvat long term, I was definitely I would be more interested in a Bo Horvat long term deal. But I also think you look at where this team is and then you also pair that with the comments about, you know, we need our top players to buy in and be the top players every single day. We need to have the better habits. We need to we need to raise the bar and have higher standards. I don't know how you can look at all those things and not at least have some questions about 
a guy who's a pending UFA and is also one of your top players. Like, is he exempt from all of those conversations? Maybe he is. Maybe they have enough inside info that they know, you know what, actually none of that applies to Bo Horvat. We have no concerns about him. But it's just another kind of discrepancy that's hard for me to really figure, right? Like, if you are if you see this team that has not won a game for their first seven games, really, really struggling, having all of these breakdowns and these poor habits and this poor training camp, I don't know how you can look at it and say, well, but it's also not influencing how we think about one of the key players on this team in their future and whether we want to keep them around. Like, it has to influence you on that well, point. Of course. Of course it does. And, and yet there's been no talks. That was the other little piece of uh, a little nugget that Alvin dropped. Right, hasn't even talked to Bo Horvat's agent for weeks. Um, look, Bo Horvat deserves better. He's deserved better from his entire career from this organization. Yeah, and hold he on, des- I want to deserves better now. I want to be very clear that I'm not saying Bo Horvat's the problem. They have to be, Bo Horvat's the reason they have bad habits. I'm not saying anything like that at all. At all, I'm a big fan of Bo Horvat, the player. It's just hard for me to square again Alvin's commentary on the on the habits thing on one hand, and then oh well, no, it doesn't change our our uh, our, our thinking on Bo at all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. But I mean, of course, the the the, the die has to be cast on Bo, right? I mean, we can't. Maybe if this team had, you know, performed at like a hundred and ten point clip, right, to the point where you were like, okay, there's something cooking here. You got to keep the group together. Then maybe you do the work that has to happen to carve out the space to keep Bo Horvat. But once the Miller and Mikhaev deals were locked in with. You know, even even with the possibility that the cap might rise next season by a few million dollars, which is looking increasingly likely, but is not assured. You know, you know how I like to plan for a rainy day and making my cap projections, Jamie. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, even even with that, like, there's no way if this team's an 85 point team that you can sign another late 20s guy for. You know, even even if we go conservative with the number, like six and a half's not getting it done, but six and a half plus long term. Like, you can't justify that. The die is cast here, right? Yeah. The die is cast on Bo Horvat. So, to, to, on one ex, on one hand, I, I see what you're saying. And on the other, like, of course, this team's performance in the negative can't change the club's posture. The only thing that could, could have ever changed the club's posture was if they emerged from, you know, training camp as one of the best teams in the league. I think we have a good degree of confidence, or should, that that's not going to happen, even if we expect this team to do an awful lot better over the balance than they have to open the year. Yeah, and it's a it's the thing is though, okay, and I I agree with your analysis there but the die is probably cast. Like I it's really really hard for me to see a way around trading Bo Horvat at this point for this team. But now you're in a situation where all evidence and all signs and all logic points towards you trading your captain, right? Your 27-year-old captain who was also one of your top players prime goal score, big part of your power play, all of that, like a key player for you who's also your captain, you're going to trade that player, but you're also skirting around the issue of whether or not you're going to rebuild. <laughs> like If you're trading Bo Horvat, you're by definition rebuilding. You don't trade your 27-year-old captain who's also a really good player unless you are rebuilding. And that's the situation they find themselves in, right? Where you're, gonna, you're walking down that path in a hurry, uh, but you're not fully embracing the implications of it just yet. One, I know we got to go to break. I don't want to keep Mark Spector waiting on the other side, but just, I mean, it's it's even worse than that, right? Like it's, this team is rebuilding or is about to regardless, right? There's no, there's no choice in the matter yet. It's just about how quickly management comes to accept that and ownership come to accept that, right? Like pain is on the horizon one way or another. 
It's just a question of whether or not you're going to lean into that and mine value from it or whether you're going to fight against it and prolong how how lengthy a time this team spends in the wilderness beyond what they've already spent over the course of the past decade. This isn't this isn't, you know, a matter for debate or opinion. Like this is just where this team is at, what the quality is, what their prospects look like, where they're situated cap-wise, right? Short of landing an elite player at the very apex of the draft and them being truly one of the best players in the league the moment they appear on the ice, pain is coming. And it's just about how this organization is going to approach that at this point, at this point, uh, like, and this team's going to win games and people's, you know, faith or, or willingness to believe this, this sort of doomsday talk is, um, is going to flag over the course of the season. But I've seen enough to, to be, be very confident that this is where we're headed one way or another. It's just whether or not the organization is willing to grapple with that reality. Lots more to come. People are fired up about Patrick Alvin, what they heard, the direction of this team. We will continue that conversation. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz with you for another hour as we continue to dig in and react to Patrick Alvin's media availability earlier today. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. We'll get uh, our pal Mark Spector from Sportsnet on the line here momentarily, get his thoughts on the Canucks situation. And I also want to kind of just get him to weigh in on the whole kind of rebuild versus retool, uh, the dynamics of that in a hot Canadian market as well. Spec knows, spec knows rebuilds. Yes, exactly. Spec knows decades <laughs> of darkness, right? And uh, and look, Patrick Elvin was talking about the best players on this team needing to be the best players every night. He had some pointed commentary about Elias Pettersson's uh, effort on the Sebastian Ajo mm-hmm. game winner. Or not the, yeah, it was the game winner the other night. Against Carolina. No, it wasn't. No, it Sorry. wasn't. It, it was, was the, two it was the goal. go-ahead goal. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm really curious to get him to react to some of what Alvin had to say. Uh, while we wait to get uh, Spectre on the line here, a couple of texts I wanted to read. This one is from uh, Justin on Texada Island. He says, do you think Alvin, do you think the thing Alvin was saying about the Pittsburgh rebuild was to publicly lobby Aquilini. And we also got this one from Chet in Burnaby. Ownership doesn't want to hear about future pain. Rutherford obviously got this job by managing up and saying this wouldn't be a rebuild. I'm sick of using herbs and crystals on this team. Get it to surgery already. That is from Chet in <laughs> Burnaby. And, the goddad uh, approach. Let's uh, go. Chet is uh, is quickly becoming one of the all-star texters to this show. He always seems to have really a, good. a clever turn of phrase to throw in there, which I enjoy. But the substance of both of those texts, right? And the we get these questions a lot, right? The question is, you know, we're talking about Alvin and Rutherford. What kind of direction are they setting for the team? But we get the questions about, well, what is management's role in this? How much are they? How how much do they decide about what actually happens? We played the clip yesterday from Elliot Friedman saying, you know, his understanding is man or ownership sets the overall kind of vision and direction, and then Rutherford puts it in action, calls the shots. 
you know, what Alvin had to say today was, hey, I've got tremendous support from ownership. I've been really impressed how dedicated they are, what they want to emphasize. They're very clear and they're very supportive. So positive commentary, obviously not a surprise there from Patrick Alvin. As you said, whenever a general manager or president speaks like this, they're speaking to multiple audiences. Ownership is one of those audiences. Of course they are. But, you know, I, I, I get a sense of frustration sometimes from our listeners about we don't maybe focus enough on ownership or we don't talk about the role enough. But I think for me, it comes down to one, it's it's kind of unknowable at a certain point, right? It's It can be hard to divine exactly what ownership is thinking at any given time. And two, you know, ownership is ownership. They're, they're a kind of a fact of life, right? Barring a decision to sell the team, they're there. There's something you have to work around, something you have to manage around. So, uh, you know, I understand the questions, but I'm also, uh, sometimes I'm at a loss with how much we can actually kind of figure out on that issue Drancer. yeah yeah it's um you know it's it's a tough one to navigate for the canucks i think for for a variety of reasons when when it comes to the ownership question first of all you know you hear a lot but you don't hear a lot while it's going on in part because of how managers manage up and the loyalty that employees feel to their bosses, right? So we get a lot of the stories after the fact and very little during, like over the course of while it's unfolding in real time, what ownership's impact is, right? I mean, we know for sure that it was significant during the pandemic because the club became a bottom 10 spender in terms of hard salary during that 2021 season with no fans in the building, right? So that we know because it's just an easy, obvious data point, right? That is an objective truth. The Canucks were the eighth lowest spending team in the 2021 season in terms of actual salary outlay. And that resulted in the organization trying a bunch of weird things, you know, including backloading deals to push salary into the future and then buying out those deals in the cases of both Vertanen and Holpe to run at a leaner budget than this group usually has. I still look at what happened after the bubble, by the way, as sort of the the principal rupture, right? Like, I don't know that, I don't know. I don't believe that Jim Benning was going to be capable of building a Stanley Cup winning team in this market. But I think the club was on a trajectory where they at least would have been a credible, you know, every year playoff team. One of those sort of middling groups. One of those, you know, sort of like Minnesota Wild Light Um you know, let's go with uh, let's go with like a bad version of St. Louis, <laughs> like one of those teams, if not for the way that they handled things after the bubble. Like, I still think that's the biggest rupture. You had players and coaches sacrifice, you know, eight weeks of their life to, to live in basically like isolation uh, in Edmonton. Uh, they played well. They played their hearts out. They were in better shape. They were more committed to the task than the other teams that came to the bubble. It, it gave them an edge in some of those series. Um, and then to completely dismantle that team, I think probably violated a certain baseline trust between players and organization. And I, I think a lot of what came later made Benning... You know, basically, I see Benning as like a you know below average manager who was then put into a box mm. where it was like, don't spend money, but also keep making this team better, right? Like, don't we have to we have to dismantle our spending without actually looking to the future? And once that stress was applied, um, the seams really showed in terms of his limitations, right? 
and all of a sudden things really fell apart. And I think I think ultimately Benning, like just about everyone else who's worked for the organization over the past 10 years, ultimately was put in an unfair spot himself. Right. Like, make no mistake. A lot of this is his mess. But also he was put in a tough spot after the bubble. I think there's a long echo from how that all transpired in terms of some of the character things we talk about, in terms of the locker room dynamics we talk about, in terms of the habits that sort of stem from that level of, uh, you know, trust being violated between organization and, and, and the room. Um, you know, you also lose a handful of really good people, right? Like people who mattered. Forget how much they mattered as players. Like Tanev and Markstrom were big figures for this team. Tyler Toffoli... Uh, you know, had a high ankle sprain and managed to return from it in two weeks, right? Like, you don't think that earned a ton of respect yeah. from these guys when he managed to do that in the playoffs? Like, that blew people's minds. Minds. And, you know, you know, you think about, too, a guy like Troy Stetcher, who did everything anyone could ever ask for, right? Wore this jersey with more pride than just about anybody. And the organization that offseason makes the decision to not qualify him but still extend Jake Vertanen. I mean, that's the exact wrong message. It takes years to recover from all of those things transpiring in the fashion that they did with all of those players sort of taking shots at the organization on their way out too, uh, based off of the way they were traded. And here's actually the biggest cost of, of the, the penny-pinching approach that came after the bubble. That was the moment. That was the moment. October 9th was when Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson became eligible to sign extensions for their second contracts. And instead of doing it, when everyone's feeling real good about what this team is building, they waited. And that sort of creates, too, some of the dynamic where I think this structure, like this edifice, is is fundamentally flawed, right? To the point where I just don't think a rebuild on the fly, like I think rebuilding on the fly, trying to transition this team on the fly, is akin to banging your head against a wall, right? Like I literally think it'll stop hurting the moment you do it. I <laughs> just just stop doing it uh, because, you know, the structure of those deals, the timing of the Pedersen deal in particular makes such an effort. You know, it's it's more than on a knife's edge. It's just not doable anymore. Uh, on the subject of ownership, this uh, 32 Thoughts, the written version released just minutes ago by Elliot Friedman. And no surprise, the Canucks are a significant part uh, at the top of what Elliot Friedman has written this week, and including uh, some early quick reaction from Friedman uh, to what uh, Patrick Alvine had to say. So ownership comes up. I'll read the quote out here uh, for you and our listeners, Jance. Friedman writes, Organizationally, the Canucks don't like the idea of a full rebuild. And as Alvine said Wednesday, I see still think that we're building something here every day. A couple of executives warned not to underestimate the economy and COVID losses as being a significant part of that philosophy at this time. Canadian teams in particular lost a landfill worth of revenue. And even before the Aquilinis owned the Canucks, there were always concerns about softer attendance when the team wasn't good. He also says, someone else reminded me of another story. The only owner we can ever remember in a losing dressing room after a Stanley Cup final was Francesco Aquilini in 2011. He didn't hide his disappointment at the loss and discussed with the way he thought his players had been portrayed. When you're that close and that affected, you don't give up trying to get there. That's Elliot Friedman in the latest 32 Thoughts. You can check it out, sportsnet.ca. Uh, some other scattered Canucks thoughts in there as well. But the, the, the headline takeaway is organizationally, the Canucks don't like the idea of a full rebuild. That's directly from Elliot Friedman, Drancer. Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. We're not surprised. But 
there's no other way out here. Yeah. There's no other way out. Like, I, I'm sorry. There's no, there's no credible vision for how this team can win a cup in the next, you know, sh few years. There's no version of this story that turns out triumphantly that doesn't involve making future oriented moves uh, of, of a variety that this team has been completely unwilling to make over the course of the past decade. Um, we're all, I think in this city, desperate to see this team climb back up the mountaintop and get back to 2011, hopefully with a better mm -hmm. ending. Like that's what we all want. Um, this path that this organization's been on in the years since, if you actually trace the decision tree, it's tragic. It's tragic. It's like, try something else. It's time to try something else. And a failure to do so is a failure of courage and imagination on the part of this organization. And, and the other thing I'll say about, you know, just the, the last anecdote there about Francesco Aquilini going into the dressing room after they lost the, the final in 2011 and, and the closing line, when you're that close and that affected, you don't give up trying to get there. And two things stand out that to me. One is, and again, you know, we get a lot of texters and a lot of listeners asking us, hey, talk about ownership. Well, the other, the, the flip side of my perspective on this ownership group is, We've seen them be everything you could want from an ownership group in this city not that long ago, right? Like in 2011, you could look at a lot of things they were doing and the the support they were giving to the regime at the time. Uh, you know, they were on the cutting edge of a lot of things like in the sports science department, as, as we all know. They were doing everything you could want for this team. So it's not as if this is the nightmare ownership scenario in sports where the owner just doesn't care whatsoever, isn't willing to spend any money, you know, always looking to cut costs. It doesn't have to be that way. We know it's it, it that's not the priority of this ownership group because we've seen it in practice be different in the past, right? So that's a big part of it for me. And then the other thing is, you know, as Friedman says, when you're that close and that affected, you don't give up trying to get there rebuilding is not giving up trying to get there. It's taking no, a different path. It's delaying it maybe slightly, maybe, but not even in this situation, I don't think. But it's not giving up. It's just taking a longer-term view to ultimately getting there, right? And I think that's the disconnect <laughs> for a lot of people, for a lot of fans, our listeners, uh, and what we hear come out from the organization. Your arrival is never guaranteed in terms of winning a Stanley Cup, right? I mean, this is a hard league, and the playoff structure is not even designed to reward the best team like it's a hard trophy to win, right? It's a hard trophy to win, but the ETA of continuing on this approach is literally never, literally never. I just don't think this market's going to stand for it anymore. I don't like, I just don't think it's a tenable way forward. You had a Jersey thrown on the ice at the home opener this past weekend. Like I, I just, this team's not at a level where fans can be convinced that they're a couple players away. Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. Even if they start winning, like they're they're going to start winning and the interest level in my rants is going to diminish as that <laughs> happens. No, never. Never. Yeah, I'm I'm it's really stunning to me right now. Like right now is the first time since we started doing the show, Jamie, that I have one of my rants and our inbox fills up with like, yeah, you said it, Drance. Right? Like usually it's like, you're so negative. Yeah, there's um, there's and, some dissenters in there still. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> but those days are coming again, right? Like this team will do enough. This team will do enough that this organization, based off of the last 10 years of their operation, will point to any short, stunted, brief fleeting success and say that's who we're selling that's what we are but they're not they're what they like we have to believe this organization and what they've shown us in their act actions the last 10 years they do not have the vision 
to build a cup team. And unless they change their direction, unless they, you know, truly figure out that making future-oriented moves is the only way forward, valuing cap space is the only way forward, making something like 30 to 35 draft picks over, or sorry, making 30 to 35 draft picks over a four-year stretch is the only way forward, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see better days ahead. I don't see a way out. I don't see how you can be more efficient than the teams that have availed themselves of the many levers the NHL offers to bad teams with discipline over the past few years. I just, I don't, I don't know how it works. I think you just have to get extraordinarily lucky. And even that is probably not going to be enough to turn this into an elite team without significant surgery and prioritizing the future as opposed to the playoffs for at least a couple seasons. Uh, Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockeypedia cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network is going to join us in the next segment. I do want to play, however, Bruce Boudreau spoke today, of course, after practice as well. And I know uh, that he was asked about his job security and the experience of of coaching without a contract beyond this year right now. So I do want to hear from Bruce Boudreau as well before uh, Dmitry joins us in the next segment. Here is the Canucks head coach. Yeah, well, anytime you lose anybody, it's disappointing. But, I mean, hey, we We've seen um, uh, Sheldon do a lot of good stuff for us in the past, and he was here when we were doing well last year, so I think he'll fit in and, and, and give it the, his best shot, and I think he'll do fine. We had an opportunity to talk to Patrick Alvin this morning, Bruce, and you were very good down the stretch last year and even into the offseason about you know, just shutting out the noise and, and doing your job. Do you, do you maintain that through all this with the, with the winless start and lots of speculation about where the organization may or may not be going? Yeah, I haven't read or heard anything because I don't read or listen to anything. So I mean, I just come to we just come to work and do our job every day. And uh, uh, I think if you just look at practice, you know, the guys are spirited. They're 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 practicing really hard. And, and there's uh, like I mean, they're upbeat about everything, and they know that eventually this thing is going to end, and we'll get on the right track again. Touched on this after the game with Thatcher's 36-save performance that he might be on the cusp of being that guy we saw go 40-plus saves on a, on a nightly basis. How encouraged are you by that? And he seems to be getting... Well, I think everybody is getting... Miller was getting better. I mean, and you see the last couple of games, Bo Horvath's been really skating. So I think everybody's getting into that now. And obviously it's a, a slow start that nobody likes to see, but uh, uh, I think... Uh, uh, the guys are being acclimated, uh, and they're going through like a, a lot of, you know, um, there's a lot of things going on as far as injuries and everything. So there's new lineups every day. So, I mean, and, and they're handling it well. I mean, it's it's funny. I don't know who makes up half this stuff, but I mean, uh, when you read, when you hear about it, uh, or you come to work and you hear about it, and and but that's a group that gets along well. They're good guys, and uh, uh, the coaching staff gets along well. Everybody's doing. Doing well. We just want to win. Bruce, can you maybe give us a little bit more detail in regards to Hughes and Besser? Is this like nagging things that are just plaguing them from day to day, or is it more severe? No, it's not severe. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, next week that Hughes will be playing. And uh, he was on the ice this morning, feeling a lot better. Uh, I think Besser's going on the ice tomorrow. So, I mean, it's not, you know, long term injuries that these guys have. Is Brock's a continuation of what? held him out in the preseason well um i'm not here to end up telling you what what's wrong with him but you know 
he'll be back on the ice pretty soon. Kraken knocked off Buffalo last night and have already beaten the Cup champs. What's the tape showing you? What's the Kraken doing? Well, the same thing they did uh, when they beat us in Seattle in in the preseason. They skate, they work, and uh, they're going to be a difficult opponent. And they didn't like where they ended up last year, and they made some improvements. But they're a really good skating team, and and, uh, uh, they're starting to believe in themselves. Since... uh Jim brought up this idea of structure at the end of last season. There's been a lot of discussion since then to now about structure, and it's still gets, by you guys. You no, know, it got mentioned by Patrick Alvine as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the team has to play with structure. Is there any difference in how the team is? Like, has the system changed? Or you- well, I mean, I think uh, uh, our support. Uh, we do more things in practice about support, and uh, and that's pretty well what we were talking about uh, is instead of being on an island and getting the puck we're trying to do things as three guys as five guys and and coming up the ice together rather than leaving it a one-on-one battle all the time but in terms of the x's and o's and how players are we're still playing the the only difference is our neutral zone's different than it was at the end of last year that's the only difference bruce i know Injuries happen, and you talk about next man up and all that kind of stuff. But Quinn Hughes is a special player and means a ton to this group. How difficult is the idea of moving the puck out and transporting and all those types of things? And we saw a Carolina team that hemmed you in pretty good. Like, What is the challenge for this group without your best puck-moving defenseman? Well, I mean, you don't need me to answer that. You can you can answer it yourself. I mean, he is a great puck-moving defenseman, and uh, they're hard to find. And when you take that out of your lineup, yes, another guy's step in and they're doing as well as they can. But, I mean, the guys that's stepping in aren't Quinn Hughes. So, I mean, uh, not complaining about their efforts or anything else, but, I mean, you're right. Quinn's a special player, and uh, he can make plays that other people can't make. You were kind of put in a difficult situation where you had a contract before Rutherford arrived and he didn't want to extend it, so you're now coaching without any kind of safety net. Why are we going there? I'm not worried about anything. I'm just doing my job. So I don't. I, I've been. I've worked without a safety net before, and as I figure, as long as I do my job, I'm I'm going to come to work every day until they tell me not to. There you go. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau. Uh, maybe not. Pleased that the question about job security coming up again, but you heard it there. He's done it before, worked without a safety net. He's going to keep coming to work until they tell him not to, Drancer. Mac, bring in the heat. The structure <laughs> the structure question, too. Uh, Mac. And Ma- Max pushback was great there. It's, it's like, 100% I, I just, right. It is not just us talking about it. Right? I know. I just, I just loved it. He was very efficient in being like, no, that's not a media thing. No, Patrick like, Alvin just mentioned it like an hour ago. Like, no, you know. I like to think we're pretty good about the game, but it's like I don't have a structural eye for hockey that can compare with a hockey coach. You know, like I, I don't. I don't think anyone no. on press row does. Uh, if you've sat and spent as much time with hockey coaches as I have, um, you know, spent time in video rooms and, and on and on, like the way that these guys see the game. Again, it's one of the reasons why I tend not to do the why is that guy not playing thing that much, right? Like I get it. Um, I think hockey coaches, generally speaking, across the league, are at a very, very high level of competence um, across the board. 
um, you know, if, if this is a big bias that I have that probably helps explain, too, why I was so obstinate in not blaming Travis Green after the Bruce Boudreaux run. Uh, a take which, by the way, looks a little better today than it did <laughs> in the depths of last season. Um, you know, I, I, anyway, I liked the question. I think Bruce handled it fine. I have, you know, not, not, a, not a ton of takeaways, but more than anything, I was just impressed with Mac. Like, my big takeaway is, like, that was a good piece of pushback from Mac there. Like, man, I missed out not being at the rink today. Yeah, you did. That was a big. It was a big day uh, at the rig transfer. Uh, always a big day here on the show. Our pal Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockey PDO cast is going to join us next. We'll look ahead to the Kraken, uh, the Penguins. I think we'll even get into the Devils next week. What to expect from the Canucks' next opponents with Dmitry? That is next right here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the day here on a Wednesday. And we are joined, as always, on Wednesdays going forward now by our pal from the Hockey PDO cast, which you can hear directly after this show uh, on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is Dmitry Filipovich. How's it going, man? Jamie, it's good. To, uh, we got a plenty of plenty of space here. We do. lounging yes. today. Trans yeah. is doing the show from home. Yeah. So we can really stretch out and make ourselves at home here. Look, before we get into the Kraken and, and the Penguins and everything... Uh, Dimitri, I got to ask. I mean, Drance and I, we come on and we talk about the Canucks yep. uh, for two hours every day. You have a show. You very cleverly designed a show where you can talk about anything happening in the NHL. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what's it like to talk about some teams that have some wins <laughs> and have some good vibes around them instead of the Canucks? Well, here's the thing, Jamie. So I have Sat coming on after this. Oh, no. And so we're doing a Canucks deep dive today. And so I woke up today at 4.30 a.m., I powered through all seven Canucks games that they've played so far to rewatch it because that's how seriously I take my job. And I got to tell you, I'm feeling pretty demoralized right now. Yes. Yeah. You're stepping into our world today. It, it was a rough, <laughs> rough watch. I got to tell you that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Welcome to the party, uh, as they say. Um, well, that's great, though. Uh, Sat is going to be on the show, so make sure you tune in for that one. Looking forward uh, to that. Drancer, you want to hop in here? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I need to now ask, what... what not to step on your own show, which will air right after ours, right. but two quick takeaways. What are you noticing? What are the biggest issues you diagnose? Oh, man. Um, well, first off, I think you or I would be a massive upgrade on the blue line in terms of getting the puck up the ice. Oh, I would so. not be. I would not be, no. <laughs> but you may be. <laughs> well, maybe not in terms of skating, but I'm sure in terms of passing efficiency, I feel like you could you could, you could snap the puck up the ice. Wow, stick to tape. no I chance. Uh, I, be I believe in you. That's what friends are for, right? Um, I would say, th I, I would say the, the negative is, is the blue line, and I don't think we need to you know get into that too much. No. I'm, I'm going to give the listeners a positive, though. All right. Elias Pedersen's been awesome. He has yeah. been really good. I, I want to know what his workout plan was this offseason because that, that play he had against Tage Thompson where he kind of just bullied him along the boards and won the battle, mm -hmm. like that's that's a nice little wrinkle to his game. He's always been stronger than his frame would suggest, but it feels like he's playing grown man hockey this season. Well, even in the game against Buffalo, you know, they're out without Quinn Hughes, so they're even more hard-pressed to move the puck from the back end. And I thought... Elias Pettersson was really noticeable doing that kind of heavy lifting through the neutral zone, like yeah. making a concerted effort. Like it's tough too, because 
if you'd asked me before the season, right, I would have said, you know, the number one thing that will determine success of the Canucks season is how well Elias Pettersson plays. And here he is playing really, really well and doing everything you'd want. And they're still not having success. But you're right. He has been uh, he has been really good. All right. Well, we'll you can hear more uh, about Dimitri and Sat's take on the Canucks so far on the PDO cast coming up after our show. Let's look ahead to the Canucks opponents. that got a back to back to round out the week here, starting with the Seattle Kraken tomorrow. Early results so far in the season. What looks different about this Kraken team based uh, compared to what we saw last year in their inaugural season? Yeah, I mean, th- their issues last year were on both fronts, right? Defensively, in terms of goal suppression, uh, Philip Grubar clearly didn't work out in terms of the financial investment they made in him in free agency. And the goaltending still hasn't been good so far this season. I believe they, they're getting like 860 goaltending I, so I far. I just checked. It's like 866. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been bad. And now Grubauer is out, so it's going to be a lot of Martin Jones. And, and that's never good for anyone other than, I guess, the other team's offense. But offensively on the other side i think they did a really smart thing in terms of identifying okay realistically we're so we've sunk so much money into group hour we're not gonna be able to get out of that right now we kind of just have to hope he turns around but offensively we can certainly add some firepower and they went out they added oliver bjorkstrand via trade they signed uh, andre burakovsky through free agency now maddie Beniers is there full time and all of a sudden especially on the power play where they believe they were 30th in efficiency mm-hmm. last year they're all the way up to sixth so far and what you're going to see when you watch them play they decimated the, the sabers last night through these cross seam plays where they're so good at getting to the middle of the ice all of a sudden in the offensive zone and so they're still going to you know have nights where they just give up too much on the other end but offensively at least there's reason for hope with this team and there's actually reason to be excited about them uh, at least when they have the puck are they on their strong sides on the power play dim yeah, well, they, it's funny enough, they actually, the one thing that I haven't liked is, the, is they're alternating quite a bit in terms of just rotating both units. They almost have like 10 guys who are averaging roughly the same amount of ice time on the power play so far. But I, I should add the addition of Justin Schultz as well. I know, Tom, when, when I came on the first time this season, you were all about that signing. So uh, that's proved you right as well. They've added quite a few offensive weapons there. And so, yeah, I, I love like the shooters they brought in, like they're legitimate finishers, right? Burkowski can score from anywhere in the offensive zone, regardless of which side he's on. Bjorkstrand, one of the best players in the league at getting into the inner slot constantly. And so uh, that power play is something that I really want to watch more of moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Their, their power play coach, a guy named Paul McFarland, mm. tends to have downhill shooters yep. uh, on the one three one, which, you know, Adam Oates wouldn't approve of, but... Uh, it works if you have sm- players smart enough to move the puck quickly, uh, which which he had, McFarland had with Barkov and Huberto in Florida, and it was number one in the league one year. Um, okay, so want to ask about the my guy Will Borgen, mm. but I actually want to squirrel the debate first. I want to ask you a completely different question. All day we've been talking about, well, not just all day. It's increasingly obvious to me that the Canucks need to rebuild. Yes. Is there a path forward where this team could even be decent if they don't commit to making future-oriented moves, in your view, with where they're at right now and how their contracts are structured, what their prospect system looks like? Wait, are you asking about the Kraken or the Crocs yeah. there? Oh, that was a very, the, that sorry, was a sorry. very weird transition. You started transition. with Will Borgen, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I started about with Will Borgen because I want to ask about him, and okay. I, but the Canucks. Is there a path forward for this team that doesn't involve some pain here? Uh, I don't see it. But, um, you know, I guess that, that that would be viewed as a as a pessimistic take, a glass half empty take. But I, I really don't see it beyond just wearing rose tinted glasses. I, I don't see the path. 
All right, Will Borgen, how's how's he playing? How's the Seattle Kraken wait, defense? Wait, wait, hold on a second, Jamie. <laughs> What's going on here? Tom clearly has an agenda here. Why, what was the what was the point of seeking that question? In? I feel like you're I being cross examined or something. It's like why why was that question important? I I needed to know. I needed to know, and then you didn't seem to want to talk about it. Well, you're like, yeah, it's obvious they need to rebuild, but that's pretty negative. So let's move on. Tom, I told you I'm feeling pretty sad, man. I've watched seven Canucks games so far today. I've got another hour of talking about them on my show. I, 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 let's talk about the other teams. Welcome to my life. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, I'm giving you the opportunity to talk about my guy, Will Borgen. I mean, I feel like you should talk about him. It seems like you clearly want to want to dissect his game. I mean, I I, I liked him back even when he was on the Sabers. Um, mm. But yeah, he's he's been feisty so far this season. And the defense in general for the Kraken are they moving the puck well enough? Because uh, you know, losing Giordano when that was a weakness of their team anyway. That's right. why I liked the Schultz signing. Uh, are they moving the puck well enough? Will they be able to beat Boudreaux's forecheck tomorrow with any consistency? You think? Yeah, I mean, they've been playing with pace so far this season, for sure. I think they can definitely get it up, and you look at all their rate stats. like They've been fine in terms of what they're generating. The question for them is, similar to where we talk about the Devils, is going to be what they give up on the other end of the ice. But um, And they're going to make mistakes there themselves. I mean, Vince Dunn can sometimes be a bit of a space cadet and just get caught roaming in his own zone. But um, yeah, and in terms of the offensive side of things, I think the Kraken should be able to move the puck fine. And, and I think they're going to try to drag the Canucks into kind of more of an up-tempo track meet, which I, I don't think the Canucks are going to want to partake in. No, typically it doesn't work out yeah. too well for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, last one on the Kraken for me, uh, Dimitri, Matty Beneers, mm. 20 years old. You know, the counting stats, the raw point totals looked impressive last year. They look impressive again so far through eight games this year. What are you seeing out of Beneers in this uh, first full NHL season for him? Yeah, he's the real deal. I, I love it. I love his shot. Um, and, and that was something that I was excited because we only saw, I believe, eight games of him last season. So it was a very small sample. Didn't really know um, what to make of it fully. You want to see more of a young player before you kind of commit on one side or the other. But yeah, he looks awesome. And, 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 and this forward group, Tom, I think is like we were kind of sneaky excited about them heading into the season, even though they yep. had such underwhelming results last year. They made a bunch of additions, as, as we talked about. But um you know, the blue line is, is still a work in progress, but in terms of getting the puck up the ice, they can do that. And when they do, this forward group can really capitalize. I mean, you watch what Daniel Sprong's doing in terms of his shot as well. Like, they have a lot of weapons up front. What I, I, what uh, impact did um, did Brandon has Brandon Tanev coming back to the lineup had on Seattle so far? Because I know, you know, they were excited about him, and then he only played 30 games yeah. for them last year, but he's back, and he's, you know, he's doing Brandon Tanev things yeah. uh, from the looks of it. Yeah, he's an, I mean, he's another one of those players. Like, they ideally want to just go as fast as they can all the time and create that way, and and, and he's one of the best grinders in the league. And, and I, I think, yeah, he's one of those energy guys where, where they love having him. I will say the one thing that I still don't love about the Kraken approach is with their coach being Dave Haxall, they love to orient a lot of their shots at 515 through the point, and that's such a suboptimal way to generate offense in general. So, um they can be a bit easier to defend in that regard, but once they get those actions, especially in the power play going cross seam, that's when they're particularly lethal. Dim, the Canucks will play the Kraken in Seattle and then face the Pittsburgh Penguins mm, yep. at home. They're pretty good. They got they got roughed up by Calgary, but people get roughed up by Calgary. That's an even better team. But mm. the Penguins are looking pretty good early. What's working in Pittsburgh? Yeah, they got roughed up by the Oilers too the, the night before, I believe. Um, right. Yeah, they're the ultimate play fast team like they have some fast skaters like Kasperi Kapanen for example but for the most part 
their their team comes together in terms of how quickly they process the play and how quickly they move the puck up the ice as opposed to the actual individual skaters moving it themselves. And so that can pose problems for a team like the Canucks where they won't give you much time to to kind of relax and take a shift or two off, right? Especially with their depth, they're able to just kind of keep attacking in waves. And so that's the problem I foresee here for the Canucks where there's going to be no kind of dead air where they can all of a sudden take a shift or two off and, and, and hope to relax before they can get Pedersen's line back out there. It's going to be a constant barrage from the Penguins, and especially after the two most recent games they played in Alberta, I imagine they're going to be uh, pretty fired up for this contest. The other thing that, uh, I mean, look, <laughs> I, I don't I don't even know how to phrase this question, but it's like, hey, Sidney Crosby's still really good. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, 35. Yeah, let's let's talk about Crosby. He's just yeah. but like... It's unreal, and yeah. I, I think even this gets said a lot, right? Oh, we take Sidney Crosby for granted at a certain point, but I, I, I really think we do. When you look at yeah. the, the totality of his career and the high level he still plays at and the way he's still able to impact the game night after night after night, it, like, again, I'm not breaking any news here, but he's a has had a phenomenal career and is still a phenomenal player for that team. Well, especially the juxtaposition of how the game has, since he's come into the league, become much more of a rush game right where all of a sudden you're getting these young players coming in and they're attacking with such kind of high octane skill and speed throughout the neutral zone and he can certainly attack you downhill that way but his bread and butter for his entire career even when he was young has been kind of grinding out impressive puck possession shifts in the offensive zone where he just leans on the puck protects it and, and you can't get it from him, right? And all of a sudden, they bring in a guy like Jake Gensel who can, I know he, he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit here, but when he's active, he's one of the few players that can sort of think the game along with him as well, and they play off of each other so well. And then whether they have Brian Rust in there or Ricard Raquel most recently, um, they have so many weapons there where all of a sudden these guys, their life must be so easy where it's just go to an open spot yeah. and Crosby will probably get you the puck and perfectly on your tape. And all you have to do is then shoot it. And so um, you're totally right, Jamie. Like he's one of these players where the past couple of years I found myself appreciating it so much more, not that he's shown reasons to believe that, you know, his time is coming to an end, but I feel like myself, I'm like appreciating what he's doing more and more. I just want to, there's going to become a time where he's not this player anymore. Yep. And, uh, and so I want to enjoy these years while I can. Well, no, I mean, I'm going to be at the game on Friday and I'm just thrilled because again, Look, he's not slowing down, but you still don't know how long he's going to be at this level. Just the chance to see and appreciate in person is like a guy who's doing it like this and who's done it for that long. Uh, I'm really, really excited for that. I wanted to ask you, we're in conversation, by the way, uh, with Dmitry Filipovich of the Hockey PDO cast here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. I wanted to ask you as well, but one of the new additions on the blue line, and speaking of a guy who can you know help the team play fast and move the puck, uh, how has Jeff Petrie fit into the mix in Pittsburgh so far? Yeah, he's he's been... He's been awesome. I think he's exactly what they expected. He had a bit of a down year last year for the Canadians, but considering the where that team was at, I, I think it was understandable that his performance dipped a little bit. Um, yeah, no, I mean, listen, there's no real weak links on this team as currently constructed in terms of they can basically, whichever line is on the ice or whichever D pairing is on the ice, they can kind of play the same way. And that must be such a... Um, such a tough thing to to wrangle with for a team like the Canucks, for example, that isn't built that way mm-hmm. where they have more holes throughout their lineup because eventually those holes will get exposed throughout 60 minutes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that the depth disparity between these two teams is really sticks out to me. So the Pittsburgh Penguins are a tough matchup, and then the Canucks will welcome the New Jersey Devils, and they might be without their hues uh, for that game, which would obviously uh, put them behind the eight ball. Uh, Devils are fast. 
Devils are fast. So these are three fast opponents. Is that sort of the theme of this week? Is how well can the Canucks contain the speed? Uh, 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 you know, in the Penguins' case, how fast they play, but the speed of their next three opponents? It is. I would say that's kind of the general theme of the league at large. Like maybe next week <laughs> when, we're, when we're breaking down the National Predators, we can talk about them really mucking it up and having an ugly game between those two teams. I think maybe that's going to be a, the one change of pace here. But for the most part, yeah, that's going to be kind of a, a prevailing theme for these conversations. Are the Devils the fastest of these teams that you've seen so far this year? They might be. And now with, with Andrew Brunette as the assistant coach there as well, they've, they've, I've noticed they've kind of started to implement much more of what we saw from Florida the past couple of years in terms of just how much they're attacking off the rush kind of unabashedly where everyone is getting involved and they're just looking to play kind of that north-south downhill game at all times. Now, for them, similar to what we talked about with the Kraken, the goaltending is going to be a question mark. Um, I, they, I, they have the league-worst goaltending again so far. I think they do have the type of offense where they can overcome it. And then all of their possession metrics and chance metrics so far have been so preposterous yeah. that the workload in some of these games for Mackenzie Blackwood has been like, all right, we're going to play the Islanders today. You're going to face 12 shots. Just try not to give up any from center ice. Okay, cool. You can do that. All right, we're going to win. And so that's kind of been their formula, and they've had more success after a, a relatively slow start to the season. So, yeah, this Devils team is is really fun like especially when Hughes and Brat are playing together watching those two uh, it's one of the most dynamic combinations yeah I wanted to ask you about their their shot metrics because they've come down a little bit but to start the season they're they're still incredible they're right up there with like Carolina I mean we all saw here in Vancouver what Carolina can you do to you and how they can keep the puck away from you uh just recently against the Canucks the goaltending is one thing but do the do the Devils have the juice in your eyes to kind of keep those shot metrics at maybe not where they are now because right. you know, like it's early that it's going to come down, but at a kind of truly elite top five level in the NHL this year? Yeah, I mean, per 60 right now, across all situations, they're averaging the shots are 40 to 21 in terms of what they're doing to other teams. Now, they have a, <laughs> had a pretty soft schedule in terms of quality of opponent as well, I should say. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 this, you know, John Marino's come in. And you're you're asking me about Jeff Petrie. I mean, he's his numbers in particular have been through the roof for this Devils team. He's pretty much exactly what they needed. Um, and the scary thing to me is Jack Hughes only has five points in these seven games, I believe. And aside from Connor McDavid, I don't think any player consistently creates high danger chances more than him at this point. So I I, I think the goals and assists are coming for him as well. And and it could come as soon as this week, uh, which is kind of scary to think about considering the fact they already have 23 goals in seven games as a team. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun group. Yeah, do you think uh, Nico Heischer is poised to take a run at the uh, Alexander Barkov most underrated player in the league title Yeah, <laughs> at I mean, some point this year? I mean, honestly, I would have said that his teammate Jesper Bratt had the claim yeah. to that, but it feels like now people are starting to like realize it, and they're and they're realizing that okay, the Devils kind of need to need to prioritize signing this guy long term. Uh, they missed the boat on doing so this past off season. He's going to be a priority for them, and I, I think he's right up there because you watch some of the plays he makes and. It's it's pretty crazy in what he's capable of out there. Well, it reminds me of Alex Barkov a little bit, right? Like obviously Heischer was a first overall pick, right. but former high draft pick, you know, really strong two way game, also puts up the points. Maybe not getting them uh, as much of attention as as uh, he would in some other markets, and then all of a sudden you turn around, and you look, and you're like, oh wow, this guy is a legit force out there uh, on the ice, playing at the level he is right now. Yeah. Are you uh, James? You said you're going to the Penguins game. Are you I am. Be, I think you should try to go to the Devils game instead. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, my boss has told me that I'm ah, working the, the, the game go. on okay, Friday, so I don't have a lot <laughs> of say in the matter. But yes, I think they'll both. Well, you be know what? Entertaining the Penguins game, business, the Devils game should be pleasure. Yes, for you. there yeah. we go. There, there we go. Maybe, maybe I can find a way to to take that in. 
with with the like with the analysis you've been able to do mm. of the Canucks, considering they're winless going into these slate of games. <laughs> what a transition, Tom! I love this. <laughs> well, is this about is this about as like on paper, Devils cracking? You mm. think the Canucks gotta you, they gotta be able to get off the Schneid? Yeah. But is this actually a pretty dangerous little week for this team? It is because a lot of the concerns that we have about them could certainly be exposed in terms of the foot speed and the blue line. Uh, the Kraken in particular, you know, you, you tweeted out Dom's um, updated playoff odds. Like the Kraken have leapfrogged the Canucks right now, right? I think yeah, the Canucks I do it 13%. every Wednesday now. Yeah, yeah so I mean, you, if you have any shot or hope of clawing back into the Pacific Division, like the Kraken are clearly a team that, that you'd think would be up for up for grabs in terms of that spot. So that would be like, if you lose that game and especially you get exposed on the, on the foot speed perspective, like that would be... A massive red flag for me. Yeah, you're going to be eight points back of the Kraken if you lose yeah. tomorrow night in regulation. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know it's early, but that's a really, really big gap in the yeah. NHL with the loser point and all that uh, this year. And you've lost one of your head-to-head opportunities to go up against them and, and reclaim some of those points. So, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's Octo- It's going to be October 27th tomorrow. But uh, if you're going to keep it alive, it does feel like a really big game. Uh, for the Canucks. Dimitri, always enjoy it, man. Uh, I'm sorry that you had to watch all seven Canucks games <laughs> this morning. Get up early and just really sink into that misery, but uh, hopefully you and Sat can have some fun with it. Again, Satyar Shah, uh, our very own Satyar Shah, will be on the Hockeypedia cast with Dimitri coming up. Thanks as always, man. Cheers. That is Dimitri Filipovich again. You can hear the PDO cast across the Sportsnet radio network. Uh, it, hey, minutes, Jamie. Mere hey, Jamie. Minutes. Yes. Jamie meaningful games in october, in october baby. baby yeah let's go we're doing let's it let's go we're doing it it's a big game big stakes well no and look it's the the playoff push or whatever you want to call it the playoff picture is one thing i mean i think la won last night as well right the kraken win last night you know calgary and vegas are pulling ahead you already have to start thinking about those things if you realistically want to have any hope of getting back into it but as we said yesterday as well i mean the Kraken game looms really, really large just in terms of how the rest of their schedule sets up, right? And just in terms of, you know, Patrick Alvin ended his press conference today saying, like, we just got to get some wins. We just have to get some wins. First and foremost, you got to get one. You have to get one. And this, if it doesn't happen against the Kraken on Thursday, oh, man, I, I don't even really want to go down that road because that looks like the best opportunity yet, at least in my eyes, even though I'm not saying it's going to be an easy matchup or anything like that. But, man, it feels like one they have to have tomorrow. They've got to figure it out. <laughs> like they, you, you have to have tomorrow. You have to, absolutely have to. I'll be in Seattle, so I'll be doing the show maybe from the rink in Seattle. I'll figure there that out, but uh, but should be fun. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Getting your review potentially of uh, of Climate Pledge Arena down there. We'll be back with a full preview of the game against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, keep it here on Sportsnet 650. As you heard, Satyar Shah is going to join Dimitri for a deep dive on the Canucks on the PDO cast. And then, of course, Bick and Satin Reach will be on with lots more to unpack and react to what Patrick Alvin had to say to the media earlier today as well. We're back at noon tomorrow for more Canucks talk right here on Sportsnet 650.